On episode 259 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to generate power and the importance of fundamentals with Peter Freeman. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Really happy to have you here. And today I have a fun and insightful interview with my good friend, Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching. He puts on a lot of fantastic and consistently excellent content at crunchtimecoaching.com and on his YouTube channel. So he does a lot of great work. And today we're going to talk about, as I mentioned in the intro, how you can develop more power on all of your strokes and the importance of focusing on the fundamentals. And some topics within those are going to be the edge of power, which is a really cool and insightful concept that you need to learn about and that you will on the podcast as well as the power of relaxation and how that translates to more power (laughs) on your strokes, as well as the different training phases slash environments that you need to be aware of when you're trying to develop your strokes. Uh, Of course, as well, um, why you really need to focus on the fundamentals uh, and do so as early as possible, and much, much more. And speaking of developing power in your strokes, I highly encourage you to check out Peter's 7-Day Power Generator Challenge. Uh, We talk about it in the episode, but it's going to help you get power on every single stroke in your arsenal. And to do that, uh, to check it out for free, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash power challenge. Again, that's tennisfiles.com slash power challenge. And there's also a lifetime access option if you uh, choose to do that, if you're really serious about uh, generating more power on all your strokes. So with that, I really hope that you enjoy my interview with my good friend, Peter Freeman, and here it is. All right, we're here with my great friend, Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching. Always really excited to talk to you, Peter. You know, we talk a lot outside of like the summit and the podcast, just about tennis and, you know, the matches. And we were just talking about Wimbledon before this. So a lot of, a lot of great times with you, my friend. How, how have you been? I've been great. Really excited. Um couple of things. We're having a new challenge coming up, new seven-day challenge, power generator challenge, which we'll talk about today. Also, on Friday, two days from now, I'm going to Paris, France. Oh, la la. play on the Roland Garros courts, <laughs> actually play on the Roland Garros courts. And we're going to tour all over France and play tennis and drink wine and, you know, just be socialites pretty much. It's going to be pretty amazing. Wow. So they moved the tournament up just for you, Peter. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we said we're gonna need to play on the Roland Garros courts, so you guys got to change, you know, French Open and Wimbledon and everything, so we uh, can do. Oh, you are pretty famous, Peter. Um, but yeah, awesome, man, awesome, great to hear that. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, how to generate more power, you know, and the and, and the importance of fundamentals. I mean, this is something that. You know, I've struggled with, especially on you know my surf, for instance, throughout the years. Um, also, you know, people just in general, like you know, you see sometimes these like 
strong looking people or fit people and they're just like hitting these like, you know, 30 mile per hour shots and stuff. So, I mean, what do you think are some of the biggest impediments to 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 us from getting uh, the power that we think we should be able to generate, but we don't? That's right. I mean, it really does come down to fundamentals. You know, it's it's learning how to use your body, syncing up the kinetic chain, doing things technically correct so that the ball goes in with fairly not too much effort and goes in fast. And also that you're avoiding injury because I find that people mm. fall into two camps who complain about power. Number one is they feel like they're working really hard and they can't generate power. Well, that lets me know their fundamentals aren't there. And number two is they can hit the ball hard, but they can't control the power. They can't control their power. So when you fall into either of those camps, it comes mm. down to fundamentals because if you can hit the ball hard, but it's not going in consistently, you know, there's something you're doing that's kind of cheating to create the power, but it's not done the optimal way to be able to actually hit and keep the ball in play. Yeah, a lot of great points there. And and also about um, being fit as well, you know, like some of us have these injuries, like I've had like kind of a reoccurring like minor like hip issue. And, you know, I feel like that impedes me in some respects with my serve, although I can hit a pretty hard forehand. Maybe it affects the backhand, but you mentioned that there, there there's certain things that we need to do to generate power. I mean, can you go um, a little little bit in depth or and just give us maybe a couple of those things that like are pretty common that we need to do in order to generate power on our strokes? Well, I think number one is starting to really work your stroke from the ground up. Number one, so it's like there's a couple of different things you want to focus on. Focus from the ground up. And think about a lot of athletic sports. Whenever you're seeing something being hit for power, whether it's a golf shot, whether it's a baseball swing or a tennis swing, it, the, the way the power is created is, is very similar. And I think a, another thing that a lot of people kind of get confused, you know, it's like you got to you know, coil and get in the unit turn and you got to use your hips. I think people equate that to like it has to feel really tough and really physical. The opposite thing is actually true. You know, it's just like the, you don't have to work as hard as you think you have to work or sometimes as much as coaches make it seem like you have to work to hit a ball hard. It's just when everything flows at the exact right time and syncs up at the exact right time, then that's when you're going to hit the ball. And whenever I work with a student say, you know, when they hit just a super smooth, hard shot, I say, how did that feel? And I'm like, it felt effortless, you know? So it, it, it really is about making sure that you're working the body in the correct sequence. You're, uh, you're, you're, and also to make sure that you're putting the correct spins on the ball as well, because it, to create power and to create consistent power, you have got to put spin on the ball, you know, hitting, the ball flat kind of makes you like a one-shot wonder player to where, you know, you can turn heads and people are like, what was that? And you're like, I don't even know what that was. But the ability to replicate it gets really tough if you're not putting some type of rotation on the ball. So that's another important part of power is mixing it with some type of spin. Yeah, for sure. You need to get that, uh, you know, the accuracy with the, with the spin and whatnot. 
It's, it's funny. I was um, hanging out with uh, with Greg Lesur from Online Tennis Instruction, uh, who came up here, uh, you know, around the Maryland DC area to cool. give a clinic with yeah, with Nadim Nasser as well. And then uh, Will came out, so we were all like having some wine and stuff. And, and then they had a, a pretty good uh, debate. Um, and you know, I love both uh, all those guys. And uh, you know, we were talking about the serve. And then, and you may know this as well, like, you know, online tennis instruction, they talk a lot about how the serve comes mainly, the power comes mainly from the upper body, whereas like Will and like Dr. Mark Kovacs, who we all know is amazing, you know, kind of talks more about how the power comes from the legs. And, you know, I'm just here to learn, Peter. So, you know, I, I know a lot of it is scientific and whatnot, and there's all these studies, but like, what's your take on on surf power, like, does it come from the lower body, the upper body, uh, my, the biceps? <laughs> no, it doesn't. But like, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I want to be kind of uh, Switzerland and neutral and agree with both of them because <laughs> I actually do believe both are necessary. You know, I've seen, yeah, I've seen the video where Florian, I believe, is serving on his knees and saying, yeah. "Look, it's all the arm." But if you really look at what he's doing, he's still He's using actually his knees, whether he realizes it or not, as ground force. His knees are now digging in the ground. So, you know, it, it's it, he's and if you look at the hips, they're still rotating everything. Like if you're just isolating the actual arm and say, go ahead, you're going to lose a lot of power. On the other hand, you can have the perfect kinetic chain up to the arm. But yeah. the arm is the master. If the arm is yeah. working ineffectively, you are oh, not yeah. going to have power. So certainly, you know, it's the kinetic chain building up and then the real magic happens. Like, what's, what are the arms going to do if we do everything right leading up to that? So if you lead everything up the kinetic chain the right way, using your body, and then you also, the arm motion is correct, then boom, you're going to crush it. If, if you do everything perfect and you don't really know how to, you know, smoothly go through a serve or a forehand or whatever, then, you know, disaster is going to strike. Peter, I think you and me should both go into politics, you know, maybe uh, you president, I'm vice president or vice versa. But I, I also agree with you. I mean, both do have merit and I can see why both argue one or the other, because I mean, I think as you analyze on my serve, like I had a pretty decent setup, you yes. know, like the legs and everything, but it was like the throwing motion itself and the timing that robbed me of a lot of power. But on the other hand, for sure, you know, if you're not using your legs efficiently um, at all, then you do lose a lot of power like you just talked about. So it's definitely like a double edged sword. So I uh, definitely appreciate your, you know, intake on that. And, you know, what about the aspect of fundamentals? You know, I, I sometimes I uh, cry at night kind of thinking back to, uh, <laughs> well, I don't do that, but like just thinking about how um, there's certain, you know, uh, technical aspects of my game where like if I had kind of developed it properly as a youngster, I would be in a lot, uh, you know, a lot higher level than what I made um, and where I am at now. So like, what do you think about just fundamentals in general, how important it is and like how much we should be focusing on that? Well, yeah, I think it all comes down to taking an honest evaluation of your game and what sacrifices you're willing to make as a tennis player in your matches and then in your practice. And, and what I mean by that is I've been saying this one thing lately that you know a lot of people can relate to as players. I'm saying hitters win, pushers win, right? Hitters somebody who, you know, you go out there, 
they look amazing. They're your top juniors, maybe your teaching pros, your best players at the club, and everybody on the tour, right? They can hit the ball, and they look beautiful, and the ball goes in. And that's how they win a lot of matches. Then you have, especially in recreational tennis, tennis where a lot of pushers will win. They have no technique, but the ball goes in. And that's because they're being very efficient with their move. They're not taking a big backswing. All they're doing is see ball, hit ball, put the ball in the strings, and they don't worry about any swing thoughts. And then you have where tweeners lose, and that means the people that haven't developed their fundamentals but are trying to develop their fundamentals and they go out there and at some point their stroke falls apart because their fundamentals are not baked in. So they end up doing kind of both when they hit. They're like, they're not willing mentally. A lot of people say, man, I'd rather lose O and O than go out there and look like that. I've heard you that. Know? So, so <laughs> yeah. when they say that, then they're like, but they don't want to lose to that player either. So they start compromising their strokes because their fundamentals are not baked in. And then they start playing, you know, really nightmare brand of tennis. So if you are going to say, well, I want to build the fundamentals, you've got to spend a lot of time off court. You've got to really be religious about it. And you've got to work and close through open practices, which is what I do in my challenges. I try and practice in my seven day challenges like the pros are willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, Tell us a bit more about that, because like, you know, like you mentioned, we have to be willing to to practice and do, do things even off court. Like, what are some of the, the basics that that we should be doing then? I think it all, first of all, starts with the mindset. You know, mm. I, I got to interview Rod Laver, the greatest living legend in our sport. Sweet. I'm watching Wimbledon. He's there in the stands. You know, everybody gives him the ultimate respect. No one's been able to do the Grand Slam since Rod, and that's 1969. He said, you can't skip steps. Then I did a video uh, about a month ago, or probably less than a month ago, when Steph Curry was getting ready to win another NBA title. And I was looking at the way he practices. And he has something, a practice series, where he calls it underrated. And why is that? Because he was underrated. And he worked extremely hard. And there was even a story that I heard on Steph where you know, when he was like in eighth grade, he could put a bunch of balls in the basket, but he was shooting from like here and not above his head. And his mm. dad, who was a, one of the best NBA shooters, he said, you know, you're not going to be able to, you're, you're going to get stuck if you keep shooting it like that. You've got to learn how to shoot over your head. And his brother, um, I forget what his brother's name is, but his brother basically said he saw Steph struggle the entire summer and cry. He was crying because he couldn't make a basket. He was used to seeing the ball go in, but he knew that to be good, he was going to have to get over this. So he went through the growing pains. Then I, I, I recently am going to put a video out showing how Tiger Woods practiced. And Tiger Woods again says, you know, there is no magic bullet. There is no quick fix. And he's like, and you shouldn't want that if you want to be good. You want to have to earn it, you know? And so all the people who achieved the high level they like the idea of hard work. They like the idea that it's not going to come easy, that you've got to put in the hours if you want the results. And it's just, and, and, it's, and it's to, another thing the Tiger says is to enjoy the process. You know, don't get focused on that, you know, well, if I do this, the results must come and they must come soon because I'm working so hard. And then if they don't come as quick as you think it is, then you think either you, you're not very good 
or that the tennis gods are against you. It's, it's enjoying the day in and day out process of doing it. So it starts with mindset. And then I've talked a lot. So I'll let you ask the next question. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just want to dig deeper per usual. Like, how do you develop that mindset to enjoy the process? Because, I mean, a lot of us have that, you know, results oriented of like, you know, I just want it quickly. So how do you like turn the tables uh, and actually get that and then keep that mindset? Well, I think you have to remember why you want those strokes. You know, I think a lot of people mm. want the nice strokes because they like the way they look they see themselves not hitting the ball a certain way. They're like, I don't want to play like that. So if you enjoy the art of tennis, and that was one of the things that I enjoyed growing up. I think that's why I was a pretty high level junior state, you know, number one, in the state played national tennis, went to get played division one tennis is besides it was besides trying to just win matches. I was excited to learn a new skill. I liked the way the game looked. So no one had to tell me to do the things that coaches beg players to do. Like no one had to tell me do shadow strokes. I would just be going around the house all day doing a shadow stroke. I'd be looking at what a, cause I learned how to really volley kind of like in my teen, teenage years, early teenage years. So I remember just going around the house and then if there was a mirror there, I'd, I'd watch myself you know, hit a volley, you know, and pretend that I was hitting a volley in a match or, you know, that I was a player at Wimbledon or something like that. And I really loved the way it looked. And so I think if you remember, why do you want these nice strokes? It becomes more fun than putting pressure on yourself. Yeah. And what, what was it for you? Like, what were your whys? I just, again, I just love the way it looks. So like, I mean, I love the way Pat cash hit a volley. So I remember, I remember there was a while where I, and I had an Australian coach where I was just like trying to pretend I was Pat cash when I was hitting the volley. And I wanted to look just like, mm. you know, and I wanted that same exact finish, you know, that, that I just wanted to look just like that. And since we didn't really have video, then I did look in the mirror a lot. I looked in the mirror to, to over and over again to go, does that what Pat cash volley look like? Does it look like that? You know, and the more, it started to look like that. I started to, to feel it. And that's another thing that Tyre talks about is feel versus real. You know, sometimes you can mm. feel that you're doing it right. And I think this is where a lot of students fall into trouble is they feel that they're doing it right, but it's not real. They're not really doing what they think they're doing. And even Tiger, amazingly enough, Tiger will say, I'm feeling like I'm doing something on the golf course. And I'll ask my coach, am I, am I doing it right? And they'll say, no, that's not exactly it. I mean, can you imagine that, Tiger Woods? So he says he even has to struggle to make his feel become real. And that's another thing about my seven-day challenges is when you go through the challenge, you can watch the instructional video, and then you video yourself. So then you're going to be looking at yourself probably before you send the video, and then you send me the video, and I can watch it and analyze it for you, and I can tell you if your feel is real or if your feel is false. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And we'll definitely get some more details on that. Um, you always do a great job with those challenges, Peter. In terms of, um, you know, the, the power that we, that we want to generate, like which stroke do you think people have the most trouble with uh, to do that? Without a doubt, it's a serve. And that's why we, okay. we go on the, the serve day one is the serve. Um, it is the most compl complicated stroke. 
And especially if you've been playing a little while and you know that you haven't started with good fundamentals and you can get the ball and play and, and you have some level of success, you can somehow win matches with not the best serve. It gets really, really tough to break down the fundamentals and, and get it right. I, I think it's, it's almost impossible to have perfect serve fundamentals without really good coaching. I think that, yeah. that is something that requires coaching um, to explain it, what it needs to be, and then also to get you out of the woods on what you're doing wrong. Yeah, definitely. Like if there's a, a particular phase of the stroke uh, of the serve that like people like mess up the most that like is basically a power leak, like which is a common term in tennis, like what, a part of the serve would you say that would be from your experience with, you know, your thousands of students that you've taught? Well, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I actually did a three X power serve course a while back where I said there's 17 different power leaks. So I, I counted <laughs> I had 30 people send me a video and I counted different <laughs> little things they were doing wrong. And I counted up to 17. Maybe there's more, maybe there, you know, but, but I count 17 of them. But really, where it breaks down for most people, because a lot of the first couple moves are stylistic choices, yeah. but once you get into the trophy position and then start to come behind the head, it's all the pros pretty much are doing pretty much the same exact thing. And so whether you see the way they stand, pinpoint, platform, you know, where they bring the racket down past their shoelaces or straight up to their head, those are style choices and they have their pros, they have their cons, but what you're doing, once you start to go behind the head, it's gotta be perfect. Otherwise mm. you're going to lose power and lose control of the tennis ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the eternal struggle for like a lot of tennis players in, in myself doing a video is like, I, I get that. Yeah. It's Rick Macy that, you know, the common, uh, well, you know, a lot of the high level uh, tennis coaches and, you know, people have been following him like, no, you know, where you're dropping the racket head before mm -hmm. you're pushing up. Um, but like what what specifically is that it or is like what 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 specifically would that like, you know, that after that you get in the trophy position, are people like doing incorrectly, would you say? So the two main things you 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 did one of them, you know, if you are driving up, if you if you bring your racket back before you start driving up your legs, you're going to lose out on yeah. a lot of power. So I have yeah. drills inside the seven day uh, power generator challenge on how to get that timing perfectly, how to sync that up perfectly. The nice. other thing is now that I've been coaching for a while, I probably would have never thought of this until I became a coach is how your thumbnail move. So a mm. lot of people are going to be listening to this. So that's again, another reason why to go through the video so you can see it, but I'm showing Maribon right now. If your thumbnail, when you're bringing it behind your head, you can't see it, that means you're probably going into what they call the classic waiter tray position, where the pros, when they go behind their head, if, if you're looking at your thumbnail the entire time, it's actually moving in the correct position. You're going to get that racket drop moving the correct way. Hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I'm definitely tuning in because I really want to see uh, that too, but also the drills for <laughs> The, uh, you know, timing the legs and upper body, because that's that's something that's really tough to to train, I think, if you don't know the proper drills, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff.
So I guess another question for you, Peter, is like, what, what what's the structure for the seven day you know power generator challenge? Um, I know you mentioned that like it's the serve. But that, what what are you going to do next after that? Because I'm definitely joining. Well, we're, <laughs> cool. Well, we're gonna we're gonna cover all the shots. So we're gonna do a serve on day one. Then we're doing the forehand day two. Then we're doing the backhand. Then we're gonna go the net and do forehand and backhand volleys overhead. So we're covering every single thing because on every single shot, you can do inefficient moves that makes you lose power and also makes you miss shots. And you know that's the thing that is so tough about tennis is, you know, if you are let's say a basketball player, you can go well. Hey, if I can just grab this ball out of the air and rebound it before anybody else does, I can make millions of dollars <laughs> if, if, if you can go hey i can't i can't grab a lot of rebounds but man you leave me out in the corner and passing the ball i'll make it you know if you're a huge guy like i can't shoot threes like Shaq couldn't shoot threes but you pass me the ball inside i'll dunk it but with tennis it's like you can't you can't get away with that you're like i've got to serve the ball in i've got to be able to maintain a good rally when I get a short ball, I got to be able to hit a good approach shot, maybe hit a winner sometimes. And when I come to the net, I got to end the point either with a volley or an overhead. So you've got to be good at everything. And uh, that's what makes the, tough so, the sport so tough. There, there's nowhere to hide. You've got to be good at everything. And, and um, you got to be able to hit everything from time to time with enough power to hurt your opponent. And, and you got to be consistent with it. If you can just do it once in a blue moon, Again, that's where a pusher can just deflect a couple balls and and completely demoralize you. So we we go through everything. Nice, nice, nice. And then how do, how do we? How, so we you know we're talking about generating power. How do we generate it consistently? Is that like a fitness thing? Is that like a repetition thing? Like what do we have to do there? Well, again, I, I like to talk about a concept called the edge of power. If you mm. look at tennis at an advanced level you're always attacking the ball in some way with the edge of your racket. And a lot of recreational players, when they start going out, they just start to think about how can I meet the ball in the middle of the strings? And this is actually a recipe for disaster. If, if you're always coming at the racket with it basically you know, flat and even, lots of times you're going to be a little off and there's going to be no rotation on the ball. And so you're either going to miss it in the net or out. The, the pros, when they're going to hit topspin forehands or backhands, they're going to get beneath the level of the ball. Their edge is going to be coming forward. It's going to put topspin on the ball. And then that will generate, you know, spin and power. Spin actually takes power away from the ball. But what it does is it gives you the freedom to give yourself the green light to swing as fast as you want, and the ball will still go in. So even though you're losing yeah. power by putting spin on it, you're gaining a hell of a lot of confidence once you have your fundamentals down. When you're going to hit a slice back in or volleys, it's the opposite. You're actually attacking the ball not with the top of the racket, but with the bottom of the racket, and that's going to put underspin and bite on the ball. And so that helps you make your volleys more consistent and do what they call sticking a volley. If you're going to hit a serve or an overhead, again, a lot of recreational players, and again, if you guys are not able to watch this but hear it, but I'm showing Maribon, they basically, the easy way is they kind of put their hand forward and they try and hit the ball, right? 
But again, yeah. you're not going to be consistent like that. Where a pro is attacking the ball with basically on edge. I'm using my hand as the edge here. And they're attacking that ball and then going up and hitting either a server or an overhead with it. So that's the key to be able to not only have power, but to make the ball in play to win matches. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, super interesting uh, that you mentioned uh, that I haven't really heard before, I don't think. is like on the sir, I mean, sorry, on the slice, you said you're actually attacking uh, with the bottom uh, edge. So why is it the bottom edge versus like the top or the middle? Yeah, so because when you're going to hit a volley or you're going to hit uh, a, a slice backhand, you're putting something called underspin on the ball. And yeah. underspin they work completely opposite. So underspin, the ball actually wants to rise off of that. So if you have, if you have inefficient technique, the ball will just float and go away from you, okay? Topspin, the ball naturally wants to go down, which a lot of people think the opposite because they see the ball go up. And when, they hit, and when right. you see slice or a good ball, you see the ball pretty much go down. So that's why you've got to sync up the two ideas. You're attacking the ball with the bottom edge, of, of your racket so you can put that cut on the ball, but you got to make sure that your body is really kind of leaning in and forward and get out in front of it so you can keep the ball down because it's naturally going to rise up. So if you do that a little wrong, you know, if you're too close to the ball, if, if, if your racket face is slightly too open, if you're leaning backwards, the ball is going to take off on you. But if you can attack the ball with the bottom edge and use your body the exact right way, the ball is going to come pretty fast and smooth off your racket, hit the ground, skid and stay low, and and it's going and people are basically going to have to dig the ball out of their shoelaces when you do it right. Yeah, great stuff, Peter. I uh, yeah, I just think that people, um, you know, kind of like you mentioned, they just get a little bit apprehensive about meeting the ball, you know, square. So then they, you know, they square up too soon instead of like you know keeping that edge going until the last minute, and then. Uh, you know, striking the ball. So that's a that's a big tip there, just to think of it as the edge of power. I uh, definitely love that. Um, to go back to the serve, I know you mentioned that this is you know somewhat stylistic, but I was wondering if you are a proponent of any of these um, techniques. One that I hear a lot is to uh, like lag the hitting arm a bit. So you you know instead of like bringing both arms up together, you kind of do a lag so that then the um, you just have to bring the, the hitting arm up like a bit quicker. And then the other one I was curious about is the low toss um, to kind of, you know, from what I hear, it kind of eliminates like hitches if people have that. So, uh, hey, B2, That's what's B2. up? So, <laughs> yeah, B2, that is um, for everybody that is uh, Peter's uh, very faithful dog there. Um, but um, do, so those two techniques, like what do you think about them? Are they helpful? Are they crucial? Uh, what are your thoughts? They are, they are both helpful and crucial. Okay. So let's right. first of all talk about the lag. I like to think about it at some point in your serve, you need a built-in hesitation. And why is mm. that? Because if there's no hesitation, if it's just arms down together, up together, 
you're going to get into the racket drop too soon before the leg drive. Okay. Yes. When you do that, you're going to lose power. So you've got to build in a hesitation somewhere. Alexander Zarev, um, Roger Federer, they have their hesitation built in pretty much around their knees. They, they, they do what you call it. They lag the racket down there for a second. It kind of hangs out for a second. And then when it's time to swing, they pretty much then go into a fluid motion. Andy Roddick was the complete opposite. He didn't do that. He basically came right up to his face. He held the racket right in the throwing position right from the start. But I don't know if anybody had a bigger weight or lag period than him. I mean, he would throw that ball up. He'd bend his legs like crazy, yeah. getting the sickest tilt you'd ever seen as far as <laughs> the way his arm would go up and back. And I mean, just completely coil himself up, wait. And then it was like a bomb went off when he went. So it yeah. is important to hold your racket in a holding pattern, if you will, at some point in the serve. Now, as far as height goes, I think it's tough. Uh, you know, a low toss, I don't agree with a low toss. You know, how many people mm. have successfully done a low toss? I can't, you know, maybe Roscoe Tanner, and we've got to go back a long time ago. A lot of people might not even know who I'm talking about when I say Roscoe Tanner. Then there was, yeah. I'm not even sure I'm saying his name right, Del Polkolov or something like that. They used to call him the dog. Dogopolov, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Say, say his name for me. Dogopolov? Yeah. That's, that's how I say it. Yeah. yeah. And he basically would throw the ball up and hit it right off the top. Very short toss. <laughs> yeah. Then you have people like Lenda when he first came out. I think his toss was a little too high. He eventually brought it down. Alexander mm -hmm. Zarev, his toss, I think yeah. in the beginning was too high. He's brought it down a little bit. Might still slightly too high. Yeah. I like you throw that ball up slightly out of your full extended reach, maybe like mm -hmm. six inches to a foot. And the timing, once you get the timing down, I think the optimal toss is when you can see the ball stop and then tell yourself it's time to swing. Mm -hmm. if, if the ball stops and you're swinging as it stops, well, then it's a too low a toss, right? Then you're... And that's where you're trying to hit it right on the peak. That's very tough to do. That's tough timing. But if you see oh. the ball stop, and then you can calmly say to yourself, now go for it. And then by the time it, the ball drops a little bit, you strike it. I think that's the best toss in tennis. And I think Federer kind of does that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. As you can uh, figure out, I'm really interested in, in the serve, although obviously the seven-day power generator challenge will go through all the strokes, which is awesome. Um, one last question, I think maybe on the serve is, um, do you have a preference, you know, as far as like building in the lag? I know you mentioned at different points, you know, Roddick, Federer, uh, so forth, Tanner. Um, like, what do you think is the easiest way to incorporate this lag? Like what stage? Okay. So I think it really comes down to whatever the player feels most comfortable with. So I don't prefer okay. one over the other because some people, if you make them, stand there like Roddick. Like I think at one point Maria Sharapova kind of tried to do it similar to that. And she looked very robotic to me and never yeah, really got her yeah. flow back. So some people can look quite robotic doing it. Roddick looked very smooth and fluid doing it. Um, you know, then for other people, they might have a coach that tell, that's telling them, no, no, you got to be like Federer. You got to bring it down here. Don't you see Sampras? Don't you see Federer? They come down here. 
know, that's what all the great servers do. And some players, that might just be too many moves. That might just be too much. So you have to find which one works for you. However, I do like people. I think everybody, like Federer, Federer, many times you watch him on the practice court, he'll just have the racket right here and throw a couple of tosses up and hit him. Every yeah. single tennis player should be comfortable working in what I call the secret power source, basically working up at the top, especially at the beginning, because you're going to have the mistakes when you come behind your head. That's where all the, the important mistakes happen or they don't happen. And so I think it's important as a training tool to have the racket up top and get this perfect. And then you can figure out do you like staying up around there? Do you just want to kind of go right up there and hang out and hit it? Or do you feel kind of once you're going to play a match, is that limiting and you want to have more flow to your serve? Yeah, thanks, Peter. Because I was just thinking about selfishly about my serve and like I pretty much do bring both arms up like together. And then I do like that early drop, unfortunately. So a lot of times I was thinking like maybe if I built the lag up earlier, that could help eliminate that. But I'll have to experiment and, uh, uh, film my serve and then send it to you. <laughs> I love it. So uh, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Uh -oh, Good now stuff. This is kind of scary. I haven't. I've been talking to you, and I look up and I see Curios is on TV. So I wonder. Nadal might have lost. Oh, is it? Oh, so I um, so I you know have access to the internet here. It looks like Nadal is he lost the third set, but he's up two one in the fourth. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. So and and oh, so Curios just won. Has, has has a match point he has a match oh point. match point okay and of yeah. course he's match arguing point. like an idiot <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's an interesting guy mm. um yeah but yeah and he's you know an example of a guy with like a huge serve um you know i think he builds his lag up earlier he uh you know lags the the hitting arm um lower well, what curious does what i call what he does is he does a slow to fast move so if you yes. watch curious go and I love this, and I teach this inside the seven-day challenge too, nice. is he makes a big move backwards with his legs. Like his, 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 his toe even comes way, the front toe even comes way off the ground. And if you look at him lean all the way back, he still has the racket in a ready position. Hmm. So that, again, makes him force a big game of catch-up. If you look at him, he moves his body a lot, and his, his, his two hands are together. He doesn't even move this. So yeah. what that is going to force is at the end, a big came a catch up, you know, cause he goes slow and then fast, bam. Yeah. It is. I mean, it sounds like you like that. Is that something that you would, I do okay, like is that something that fast. you would, it's okay. So you would teach that to somebody after they got, you know, the secret power source down. I, I, if, if they want to, and if I, you know, if, if I felt like as an individual that, that, that kind of works for them, you know. But I do yeah. like it. I do like that rhythm a lot. There's been a lot of good servers yeah. who do it just like that. Goran Ivanisevic, again, another one. If you really think back, he would hold the racket here, lean way back, hold the racket there for a long time, and then boom. So I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, good, good stuff. So let's pivot a little bit, uh, Peter, if you don't mind, and talk about the backhand, because um, I know that's like probably the second... Maybe you have a different opinion, but the second stroke that people uh, struggle with uh, getting power on. Um, yes. Uh, so, like, what do you think about, like, maybe the most common mistakes there that rob them of power? Well, I think it's opposite for 
a one-hander and a two-hander. You know, the the, okay. the, the, the two-handers who lack power, um, and that's where you might even want to consider going to a one-hander. I find that they get very tight in their arms. Yeah. And that they tend to move their arms too much. The, the, the two-handers that hit great backhands, you know, they're so good at keeping their arms relaxed and working the unit turn and, you know, popping the ball with their hips. And, and again, whether you have a, a two-hander or a one-hander, it's all about the hips coming through at the right time. And the two-handers who, you know, hit the ball well, they also have a, not, a lot of nice free rotation to where, you know, when they swing, they keep coming around and kind of open up. The one-handers who struggle to hit power, I think, again, it comes down to they lock up their hips really fast. So they, a lot of it's a footwork error, okay, because they're taught to turn side on. So they turn side on too early, and then they get their hips in the way. I call it mm -hmm. hip lock. And then the other thing is a lot of, especially if they've been playing for a long time, they're not aggressive enough with their grip. They're in a weak grip on the one hand, the back hand. So it, it's really tough with the position of the wrist is in to actually create any power. So um, it's different with the two and the one. Lots of times, what is the problem keeping away the power? Nice. Peter, I feel like you could do some wordplay with like, you know, you mentioned hip lock and then like ziplock bag. Like maybe there's <laughs> something you could do there with like sure. the bag. You could steal it. Steal it. I don't care. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, ziplock like, might care. Know, I didn't. Do you own ziplock? I mean, they might no, have a no, problem just, with it. <laughs> no, no. Just like, you know, when you're teaching, you're like, oh, like, you know, it looks like you have hip lock and then you have the ziplock and then maybe you just like show something with it. Like, I don't I, know. I like that, I mean, you know, but if I, get, if I get sued by ziplock, I'm right <laughs> after you. <laughs> Maybe just do it at a private lesson then. Um but yeah, yeah, good stuff there, man. Um and then in terms of the um the length of the seven day power generator challenge, like what's the structure there, like in terms of like, you know, how long per day, like timing, like all that stuff. Well, that's another thing I really think that people get confused about. Yes. Yeah. You know, the video lessons are pretty much between fifteen and twenty-five minutes, and you awesome. and you have the drills on a sheet of paper and you um you can watch the drills and see them and, and hear the tips and then you go out and do it and again you can just practice it 15 20 minutes a day and you can fit that in if you got a match show up a little early or stay a little later get it in or if you don't have anybody to play with that day everything's something you can do on your own and when you're learning a new move See, it's better to do it by yourself or with yeah. as little distractions as possible, whether you're bouncing the ball to yourself or have a ball machine to work with, or if you're working on your serve, you just have you and your basket of serves and certainly the video camera. Because when you're learning new moves, you need to be in a closed environment. You need yes. no variables involved. And then when you feel like your move is getting really good and you feel like this is getting pretty good, then you need to test it by opening it. And if you open it up by like rallying with people or playing the match and it doesn't go well, guess what you need? Just more time going back in the closed environment. And then you keep yeah. opening it up again and testing it. 
where a lot of people will will maybe try something a time or two that their coach showed them or they saw online and you know maybe it works or it doesn't work in a closed environment and then they got and use their match and they don't do it well and they think oh well that tip doesn't work or i'm not good enough to do the tip and then they just give up where the great ones they you know steph curry how great is he at dribbling a ball you know why does he dribble the ball two balls before every single game he doesn't need to do it anymore he's got it but he does it all the time to keep that sharpness up to keep his fundamentals razor sharp so these drills you never ever ever outgrow them it, it should oh everything i put in my challenges i firmly believe should be part of people's practice systems that they religiously use not that they just use for it's seven days but it's like a seven day perfect practice system what i don't want to get people confused on is like just don't do it for seven days and that's it it's like you do it for seven days like damn that was a great week what if i did this every week yeah yeah exactly can't just uh, stop it and expect to be all good in terms of um oh geez oh yes in terms of like the environments like how would you categorize like the progressions like obviously we talked about like you know uh drop hit i know we know about shadow swing so like what, what what were the phases would you say like to advise people like okay i gotta i'm, I'm transforming my stroke like what are the, the the different environments that they should progress uh step by step okay well let's first of all we'll combine two learning environments this this, 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 this okay. the process of learning and then the best learning environment so the process of learning is unconscious incompetence, meaning like, I don't know what I don't know. So I'm sure even if you know a lot of how to hit a forehand or how to hit a serve, how to hit a backhand, if you kind of even have heard that before, I'm sure there's going to be things in the seven-day challenge you're like, oh, I never even thought about that. I didn't even really realize that. So then you're kind of like learning. So that's, that's part of the phase is you've got to hear a coach tell you something a new idea that you never heard of before. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I, I should probably start learning how to do that, right? So then you go from unconscious uh, incompetence right away to all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, now I'm aware of it, but I still can't do it. So that's conscious incompetence, right? You're like, I know it now, but I still can't do it. And then you go to conscious competence means I can do it, but I have to sure think about it a lot. And that phase can last a long, long time. And, and then you get to uh, where you can just have unconscious competence. You don't even think, need to think about it. You can just do it. So when you're in the beginning phases, the first three phases of learning, that's especially where you need to spend a heavy amount of time in closed environments. Closed environments are things like shadow strokes, okay? But just not whacking the racket around, like being very focused with it, almost like you're in the martial arts and you move them you do the moves slowly and deliberately and then maybe you can start to do them faster and you're always making sure it's right by videoing yourself so that would be the first learning environment you should go into then you're like okay this looks pretty darn good let me go out and have a ball machine feed me slow or maybe just bounce the ball to myself that's the next thing you do or you have the ball machine did i say ball machine feed you slow that's how you would do it then you're like, let me try and actually hit with somebody, but let's hit in the short court or let's rally with low compression balls. 
then you can go, we're getting in a pretty good groove. I'm doing it right. Let's go back to the baseline and hit. Let's hit some cross court. You see, now let's open up, play some points. And then you just, now let's play a match and let's see what I can do. And then you just always evaluate where you are and you rinse and repeat. Love that, Peter. Love that. I'm curious, you know, for, for this challenge, like, um, that you're hosting, um, are there any, like, what tools would you need, like, to participate? You need a great mindset. Uh, yes. You want to have Most fun. important tool of all. You need your racket. Uh -huh. You need okay. some balls. Yeah. And if you got a court, even better. But sometimes people will say to me, oh, I couldn't do your challenge this week because, you know, it was cold outside or because I'm traveling yeah. or you know, during coronavirus, the courts are locked up. That is not an excuse in my mind. Everybody can do the challenge, even if you don't have a tennis court, because you're, you are, I promise you, I promise you, unless you're somebody, unless Pete Sampras is out there watching my challenges, trying to do them, there's inefficiencies in your stroke that need to be worked out without a ball being hit to you. Yes. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah, just don't um, underestimate the power of uh, shadow strokes, please. Um, Peter, uh, that, that's fantastic. Can, can you give us uh, dates on, uh, on the challenge as well? So I know we're obviously recording this in advance and uh, should be released on the 13th of July by my count. Yes. So no. uh, what are the dates? Well, yeah, the dates are... The dates are July 27th to August 3rd is when we're actually going to do the, the actual challenge. But we're starting to invite people to the challenge early so they can get in and be ready and prepare. Yeah, 100%. And I'll definitely have uh, a link that I probably would have uh, read out in the intro of this episode already and, and in the outro. So definitely uh, really highly encourage you guys and gals and everybody to join. It's really going to be a fantastic one. And it's so cool too because like you're going through you know, all the strokes like we talked about, and you're basically just teaching us how to get more power on all of them. So you're obviously narrowing down, you know, the most important parts of, uh, you know, of generating power for each stroke. Yep. And then it's not long either, you know, like you mentioned, I think you said it was like 15 to 25 minutes per video or something like that, like, you know, each day uh, for seven days. So, uh, but definitely you want to keep, keep at it. Um, definitely. Uh, and I think it's probably, is it Peter where, you it would be advised if you want to keep keep uh, practicing that you just get like uh, some sort of like all, all access or like lifetime access sort of deal. Yeah, you can get lifetime access too. So you get free free forty eight hour access to each day. So if you want to do the challenge and you want to try it for free, just so you can really see how good it is, that's the point of why I make it for free. Yeah, is you can get free forty eight hour access. You know, if you're serious about your game and you decide, like, yeah, I should be doing this a lot, um, make this part of my routine, then you can get lifetime access so that you can always have it there. You know, I, I actually heard something interesting today. There was a study that what you hear from somebody today, tomorrow you're going to forget 75% of that conversation. Yeah. And that's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I heard a similar statistic with like books, like you retain very little percentage. I was like 12% or something. I forget. But um, yeah, so definitely I'll encourage that. And that's super cool of you to to do it in that format so people can, you know, try first and, and see if they like. 
Um, but yeah, awesome, awesome, Peter. So uh, again, highly encourage everybody to check out and join the Seven Day Power Generator Challenge. I will be in there as well, um, enjoying Peter's uh, top notch instruction. Uh, he's been at it for so long, and I uh, was one of the most passionate. <laughs> Coaches by far, I mean, you know, just having that feature where you analyze people's videos, uh, that's that's very time consuming and you get a lot of them. So that's super cool, Peter. Uh Peter, what what's next on the horizon for you? What are you what are you up to lately? Anything exciting that uh we should know about? Well, there's gonna be lots of exciting things as far as, you know, like I said, in a couple of days I'm going to France. Gonna try and do a lot of videos out there as well so people can yes. to make sure you're you go to my YouTube uh channel. Um then in August, we're going to be in Cincinnati doing the Masterclass Clinic, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. Ooh. Still have some spots open if people are interested. Then, what are the dates? Uh, we're going to be doing August 12th through the 14th. And then we go out to the opening round matches together. And then we got a semifinal weekend where we go Thursday through Sunday, August 18th to the 21st. And then after that, it's all about getting Baron down on TennisCon, which, um, you know, is such a fun project, as you know, from your amazing tennis summit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, you do an amazing job, too. I can't wait for that. Uh, we always try to, I wouldn't say one up each other because we, you know, we, we help each other out, talk about a brainstorm, but, you know, like always trying to push the uh, barrier and improve every year. So uh, really excited about the tennis con coming up and definitely you'll be hearing about it from both of us. Um, and is the August 18th to 21st also in the Cincy yeah. tournament you yeah. said as yeah, well? Okay. Interesting. It's a great tournament. Yeah. I've heard one of my friends is going down there too. I might have to try and you see if I can come. make that. You would love it. I know. Oh yeah. Mainly, mainly to see you, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, I hear, I hear it's a great tournament. I think it's better. Than the, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I think it's better than going U S open because U S open, first of all, it's just so pricey to do yeah. everything, tickets, pricey. hotel room, everything. It's extremely <laughs> yeah. pricey. And then, especially on the main court at the Western Southern Open, mm -hmm. there's not a bad seat in the house. So if you were like at the high, if you're like in, in the high part of the stadium at the Western Southern Open, if you're in that same vicinity at the US Open, you'd be like, <laughs> You know, who do we have <laughs> to kill to get these tickets? Like these seats are amazing. Like they're great tickets at the US Open that'd be super expensive. So it it is completely different. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think I remember being in like the Arthur Ashe Stadium, like at the top before, because it's more of my price bracket, you know, mm -hmm. generally speaking. But uh and then I just ended up like looking at the TV a lot of the points. Oh yeah, you can't <laughs> it it's, like, so it's a joke. It, you know, really Yeah. And we'll just, I don't want to get too far into because I want people to go, go off on a tangent, but we'll just finish with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the US Open, I think, made a big mistake by trying to be the biggest stadium. You know, I think that's what they try to do. We're going to be mm -hmm. the biggest stadium. But if you look at, if you're looking at Wimbledon, you can see the center court, it, it's not big. Yeah. You know, I went to Rod Laver Arena, it's not a big stadium. It's great. And, mm -hmm. you know, so at a certain point, you're, you're not getting to see really, the way tennis is meant to be watched when you when it's so high up there yeah i think you're right we could definitely go on a tangent here you know maybe uh, a few friends uh higher up might not be so pleased but anyways uh yeah this has been great um speaking of power uh you know i really appreciate it pete like i just generally love uh genuinely love doing these um episodes with you like i learn a lot and you know we just have a lot of fun so i'm excited to uh you know collaborate with you uh more in the future and put out some content but um 
you know, again, I can't, you know, stress enough how awesome, you know, these challenges are that Peter puts on. So definitely join the seven day power generator challenge. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes and I'll, I'll have mentioned it already at this point and in the outro as well. So uh, thank you so much to Peter for coming on to the podcast. And I look forward to uh, seeing you again soon, my friend. All the best to you. All right. So fun. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed this interview with Peter Freeman. I definitely did myself and I hope Peter, you did too. And uh, I really enjoyed talking with Peter. Uh, he's just so passionate, as I mentioned, you know, about the sport and helping people improve their game. So I would, again, highly encourage you to check out the 7-Day Power Generator Challenge that Peter is putting on. And you can do that by going to tennisfiles.com slash power challenge. That's tennisfiles.com slash power challenge. Definitely check that out. Uh, I'm going to be doing so myself. And also, I just want to leave you with a quote, as I often do at the end of the show. And this one is by Erica Jong. And Erica said, if you don't risk anything, you risk even more. So definitely need to sometimes take a chance or you know change something up in your game, uh, do something different if you want to be different and get the success that uh, is somewhat rare. You know, you've got to work hard and um, gamble a little bit sometimes and try your best. And sometimes things will work out and you'll be very unique in your success and accomplishments. So hope that uh, motivates you. And with that, I really appreciate you listening and tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host, Mirabana Ranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.